We are starting a brand new series called In the Beginning, as Steve said, journeying through the book of Genesis. Let's jump into Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. You have never experienced more slides on the screen than you'll get in my sermon today. So we are straight into it today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Right, that's day zero. About seven days later, we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Sorry, that was six days later, obviously. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, it might be the very first time you're hearing some of those verses, and that's okay. I guess you might be relatively new to church if that's the case. But for others in the room, you might say, man, I've heard that and I've read that a thousand times. It's one of the most well-known parts of the Bible, but also one of the most disputed. There's all sorts of different schools of thought on whether this is a literal historical account or whether it's just some sort of poetic, creative expression or maybe a combination of both. Now, I personally take it as literal for several reasons with one of the main ones being that there are no usual indicators of Hebrew poetry that are found in the text. We have all sorts of different poetry throughout the Bible, but we find nothing comparative in the writing style or structure in Genesis 1 or 2. So it lets us know what happened, but it's been authored in an interesting way. But whether Genesis is to be considered literal or poetic, I believe is beside the point. I think whatever it is, it was intended to be read as literal. Whether it happened exactly like this or not, the lesson comes in our literal consideration, right? Take Jesus' parables, for example. Matthew 13, he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as and he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now, we don't read that and say, uh, what path was it? How old was the seed? Did it really happen? Or is it all cryptic? Is the farmer Israel? And were, was the scattered seed those that were exiled to Babylon? No. Jesus wants us first and foremost just to read about a real farmer scattering real seed. He's teaching us and revealing himself to us in different layers. Now, if you know the Bible, if you've been in church a little while, you know there's more to that. But first and foremost, our starting point is let's read a literal story literally. The same goes for Genesis, in my opinion. You could argue either way until the cows come home, but the argument is irrelevant into what God is potentially trying to show us here. The lesson is in the literal consideration. When we read the Bible, it's always good to have a starting point um, as plain reading. What does it seem to be saying when reading it plainly and normally? From that place, God begins to reveal deeper and richer revelations to us. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning, God created. It was formless and empty, I love this, and yet God's presence was there. Over the next five days that you read about in this account, he built more, he progressed, he developed, he advanced, he grew things, he released things. Then on day six, after creating people, he saw that everything was complete and very good. And on day seven, he rested and declared it as holy. In the beginning, formless and empty. And by the time God decided it was done, the work was complete and very good. See, even in the creation account, we can see that the work of God takes time. This is interesting because God could have very easily created everything in an instant in day one. 
There's no real reason at face value why he needed to do it across several days. It's not like he wasn't capable of doing it all on the first day, but perhaps he did it in six days in part to show us that there, are, there is an order to things, that there are a season for things, that what has started in one moment is finished in another, that what is established in one season is necessary before the next season can occur. We are all a work in progress. That's true for you. Certainly true for the person next to you. We can find ourselves in the story of creation. And I'm not just talking about the obvious fact that we are the people created on day six, but each one of us is sitting somewhere along that six-day journey. The very first three words of the Bible, in the beginning. For all of us, there is a beginning. For all of us, we have our own in the beginning, the start of our faith journey. It might have been in a loving Christian home and you were taught Bible stories and attended an amazing church. It might be an unexpected stumbling upon a church, a Bible, or a Christian somewhere, and just something captured your attention. You might have hit rock bottom in your life and went on a journey to discover purpose and meaning. You might have been radically saved, and while your eternal destination has been changed to heaven, you're still pretty rough and raw, and you're trying to figure out what it means to live your life for God. All of these are amazing. All of these are equally valid starting points we all have out in the beginning. Everyone has their own in the beginning, but you only need to get to verse 3 to realize that God wants to bring light and life to you as you take another step in your journey. In the beginning only lasted the first day, but it was the start of a journey towards completion. And while the beginning is really important, what's even more important is how we journey away from our beginning what God has done in our life and what he continues to do in our life. Now, this week, Darcy and I went to watch the Barbie movie. Anyone seen it? Yeah, a few people. No guys, just me. Okay, cool. I was pumped. I'll be honest with you. Anyway, we went to watch the Now, I won't ruin the plot for those that do really want to go see it. But in the Barbie movie, long story short, Barbie leaves Barbie land to go and enter the real world. And she's chatting with this mother that makes a really profound and amazing statement. She says, mothers stand still so that their daughters can look back and see how far they've gone. We all have an in the beginning. And whatever that looks like for you is fine, but it's our anchor point and it's our litmus test for progress. You can look back on your beginning and see how far you've come. I want to take the next few minutes to dissect what God was showing me about the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. As I read over this again and again and again, I've always loved Genesis. I've always loved the creation account. As I read over it again and again, it became clearer and clearer to me that there's almost this like interwoven blueprint as to how God works in our life, kind of like a systematic pathway for development. Remember, in the beginning, formless and empty. And by the time God finished his work, it was complete and very good. So just now, we're going to blast through all seven days and the verse that attains to that day in creation. I've not used the entire verse, just the part that summarizes the main part of that day. Here we go. In day one, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. Day two. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. Day three. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place. So dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce 
the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. Day four. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Day five. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Day six. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. You're doing well. Here we go. Day seven. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Give yourselves a round of applause. You listened so beautifully. That's amazing. That is a, a relatively brief version of the entire creation account. Now, let's go through and summarize, because you might have heard that going, uh, cool, like, there's a lot going on there. Let's summarize all seven days, and I've gone real geeky nerdy on you. I've got a table for you, okay? Just to make this nice and clear, I want us to follow along. Voila. Okay, day one, he created light. No longer would the world be dark. Day two, he created atmosphere and space. Distinctive location became clear. Day three, he created dry ground and plant. It's a place where seed would flourish. Day four, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. They governed the day and the night. Day five, birds and sea creatures. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then day six, land, animals, and humans. People made in the image of God. We'll get to day seven later. This is what God was showing me, and I want to go back through them again using the same well-crafted table to show you perhaps why he may have created those things. Day one, he, he created light because vision brings hope. Day two, atmosphere and space because awareness, it gives you awareness of where you stand. Day three, soil for seed. Day four, he created it maybe for governance and guidance. Day five, growth and multiplication. Day six, responsibility and purpose. Now, this is the growth for our journey. This is what it looks like for us, us, perhaps, when you consider those things. Day one, you open your eyes. Day two, you realize where you are. Day three, you welcome input and new life. Day four, you look for guidance and direction. Day five, your growth accelerates. And day six, you anchor your identity. I want us to go through these one at a time in the time we've got left. Day one, you open your eyes. I believe this is a bit of a, a roadmap for the ways in which God works in our life and the different stages we find ourselves in. This is the first time we get a mention of God seeing something as good. This is when the world around you can feel dark and it can be hard to believe that it will ever be light again. In fact, in this instance, it had never been light yet in existence. The very first thing that God introduces to a dark world is light. And the first thing God wants to bring you when you feel like you're living in the dark is vision and hope. He wants you to open your eyes and believe that things can be different. Sometimes you just need to be told that everything's going to be okay, that things are good. Have you ever 
been feeling down and it's the strangest feeling because it seems irrelevant, but you're feeling down, you're feeling low, and you just need a friend or a spouse just to tell you that everything's going to be okay. As if they know any better than you, but just hearing a friend or a spouse say it's going to be okay can sometimes make all the difference. Sometimes you need someone that sees a bigger picture to declare that even though you've been living in darkness, light and goodness are right there. You know, even now and then our little boy Boston, he's almost two, he'll wake up in the night and he'll be screaming and he'll be upset and he'll be like, dada, 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 not mama, dada, dada, dada. <laughs> I wish it was mama. No. And I make my way down to his room and I turn the torch on on my phone and I just put it face down on the edge of his cot just so there's a little bit of light going. I lift him up. I look him right in the face. I say, dad is here. It's okay. Boom. He's out. His head is on my shoulder and he's immediately out and he's at peace again. I love that in this verse it says, then God said, let there be light and there was light. We read that, we go, oh yeah, cool. Then God said, and there was. That's the power of the declaration of God. In this season, you need to know that if God said it, he meant it. It might not feel like it. You might not see it just yet. But the first thing God introduces to this world is your ability to see through darkness, to see further than you've been able to see before. See, in the dark, everywhere looks the same. Wherever you look in the dark, there's no clear sense of direction forward, and it can be cold and it can be scary. But in the dark, the environment is exactly the same. You just can't see it yet. When you turn the light on, nothing changed, just your ability to see what was in front of you. Ephesians verse 118 says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called. His holy people who are rich and glorious, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So the first part of God's work in your life is to open your eyes and to declare that it is good. See, in the beginning, though formless and empty, God introduces hope in the way of light. Remember that even though the world was formless and empty and dark, God's presence was still there. And I love that at the end of every day of creation, the verses we just read, it says this. It says, and evening passed and morning came. I need you to know today that no matter how dark it feels, how cold it feels, how directionless it feels, the evening shall pass and the morning shall come. First thing that God does for us is he opens our eyes. He brings hope, he brings life, he brings vision. The second day is this, you realize where you are. God made it crystal clear that what was from earth and what was from heaven, remember he separated those two. He divided the space and gave distinction to our position. Once our eyes are opened and we can see where we are, we develop a realistic picture of where we stand in relation to heaven. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He not only wants us to get to heaven, but before we get there, he wants a little bit of heaven to get into us. Knowing where you are and where you're not gives you a basis to work from. And wherever you are in your beginning is fine. What matters is where you go from there. You might say, okay, I don't know any scripture. I don't actually know the Bible stories and I struggle to follow along in the sermons. That's okay. That's good honesty. You might say, okay, I can see that like even though I believe in God, I'm still carrying a lot of fear for my future. I need to learn to trust God more. Okay. You might say it's clear that I'm still carrying a lot of pain and unforgiveness in my heart and it's weighing me down. And, and as I read scripture, I can see that God's asking me to forgive people and I know I should. I'm just not ready to do that. When you know where you are, you know where you're not. And if you know that you're not yet where God wants you to be, that's actually exciting. You've identified areas of growth in your life and you can begin your journey from here. John Newton said this, he says, I'm not what I might be. 
I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I wish to be, and I'm not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, after God gives light so that we can see the hope of what's around us, we figure out where we stand and we begin to look inwards. We become self-aware of our condition. King David prayed this prayer in Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Stage two is simply a realization of where you're at. And like King David, you can ask God to help you point out those things. Day three, you welcome input and new life. Okay, so we've got light and our eyes are opened. We have space and we know our position. But on day three, God establishes a clear foundation. He separates the water from the ground, from the land, and it's on this land that new life begins to spring forward. It's upon a a firm foundation that the soil becomes ready for seed. You know, the interesting thing about the planting of seed is it's done by someone who already has an idea on what the harvest looks like. Like when a farmer plants watermelon seeds, they already know what watermelon looks like even if the soil doesn't. And when you get to the stage in your journey, you begin to welcome the input of God and others. You allow people to speak into your life, to correct you, to speak life, and to suggest different ideas. You believe that they can see the harvest even if you don't know what it looks like. The walls begin to come down, and the humility of your heart creates fertile soil that's ready for seed. You begin the very early stages, and new life begins to sprout forward. It may not look like the big oak tree that it might become in years or decades ahead, but you begin to see new growth in life. You can see and feel the change that God is making in your world. You might say, where I would once have lashed out in anger, I'm slightly better able to compose myself and consider a loving response. You might say, when I was once immediately doubting my ability and value, I can now take captive a few of the negative thoughts that come my way. And it's not crazy for me to believe now that God has an amazing plan for my life. You might say, in the beginning, I didn't understand Scripture at all, but now I'm starting to connect some of the dots. You begin to see how one thing links to another. You're picking up on some things, and the snowball of biblical understanding has begun. This can be one of the most exciting stages of God's work in your life. This is the point where you notice a difference, and others notice a difference too. God is not only doing something new within you, but it's making its way from the inside to the outside. Isaiah 43, 19 says, For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Remember, on day one, you were formless and empty. But by day three, new life is visible. The most crucial element to cultivating the soil of your heart and soul is teachability. It's like you're hungry to learn. You're hungry to grow. You want more of God, and you understand that you're to seek that in community around others who can encourage you along the way. Day four. You look for guidance and direction. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars to govern and guide, to give us or to give those a sense of direction who would actually look to them. See, now that you've started to experience God, this new God-breathed life, and things are all very exciting, you run the risk of allowing that excitement and this zealous enthusiasm to lead you in all sorts of odd directions. This is where guidance and direction from someone with a higher view is so vital. Romans 10, verse 2 to 3. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. 
He's saying, look, these people, they love God. That's fine, but their theology is still a little bit whack. They're passionate, but it's just in the wrong direction. And when we begin to experience the excitement of God working in our life, we can be zealous without wisdom. We can find ourselves having misdirected zeal. God created the sun, moon, and stars for governance and guidance. The moon and stars are there to help, but they're not helpful if you don't look to them. Right? Don't look at the sun. That one's a prank from God. Like, I, I don't know if you want to look at the sun for guidance. But governance and guidance require our active submission and attention. Governance in our personal life is so important, but also in our ministry. And I say in our ministry, you might be like, well, what the, I'm just, I just come to this church. You are a minister. If you're saved, you're called of God, you're called to minister in your environment, not only in our personal faith journey, but in ministry, it's important. We have to understand that accountability and submission are vital to personal growth and effective ministry. I'll be honest, every now and then I get an email or I get a letter, and I'm always very wary when I get one of these methods of correspondence where someone likes to tell me about the ministry that they're running or leading with no connection to a local church. I'm thinking, okay, sounds cool. You've worded it quite nicely, but what um, covering do you come under? Who do you report to? Who's providing guidance and oversight to your ministry? What statement of faith do you hold to? What structure and authority have you committed to in order to ensure that you safeguard yourself from operating in your blind spots? Who is it that you've allowed to point out your areas and provide direction even when you don't want to hear it? This is why for us, being connected into a local church and a small group is so important. This is why connecting with other generations is so important, not just thinking my generation are the bee's knees, but looking to those who are older, looking to those that are younger, connecting with generations that will enrich our spiritual journey. It doesn't matter how sure you are or how clearly you think you've heard from God, governance and guidance should be a non-negotiable as you continue to take steps and allow God to work in your life. I've heard from God, so I'm doing it, is not healthy. We should hear from God, and we should do what we feel God has called us to do, but there are all sorts of scriptures in the Bible about seeking wise counsel, about submitting it to others that maybe see it a bit different from us, that have a different view, that have different experience. It should be the responsibility of young and faith believers to seek out a mentor and guidance, and it should be the joy of mature Christians to provide it. Day five, your growth accelerates. Once God has introduced everything he had in the first four days, he then gave a very powerful commandment, first to the animals and then to people. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Not just be fruitful and increase, but multiply. Like expand and increase at a rapid rate. It's in this stage of your walk with God that you start to hear the voice of God clearer. You become exceptionally fruitful in your spiritual gifts. You have confidence in teaching and leading your own family. You become unashamed of the gospel in public settings. You approach difficult situations with wisdom and discernment, and you're active in leading and discipling other people. You become a very capable and confident person, but this is why this is the moment that a be very careful warning needs to be issued. This is where a lot of people let their guard down and allow pride to sneak back in. Look at me and how great I am. Look how much I know and how much people listen to me. Look at my level of influence. This is where people begin to find their identity, not in who they are or whose they are, but rather in what they do. This can also be a difficult season and stage of growth because not everyone is going to celebrate the growth of others. And when you grow out of one season into the next, you have to leave a season behind and sometimes with it, the people that were there in that season too. 
Amazing story. On June the 4th, 1783, at the market square of a French village in Annonay, not far from Paris, a smoky bonfire on a raised platform was fed wet straw and old rags. Fastened above, straining its lines, was a huge bag 10 meters in diameter. In the presence, it says, of a respectable assembly and a great many other people, that sounds like it was written in 1783, and accompanied by great cheering, the balloon was cut loose and set free to rise majestically into the noon sky. Almost 2,000 meters into the air it went. The first public ascent of a balloon. The first step in the history of human flight. It came to earth several miles away in a field where it was promptly attacked by pitchfork-waving peasants and torn to pieces as an instrument of evil. Not everyone will celebrate your growth and development the same. Accelerated growth is exciting, but make sure you stay grounded, you stay submitted, and you don't allow pride to sneak in. Day six, you anchor your identity. I love in day six it says this, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, to be like God. After that, God mentions how we're to take responsibility and reign over all the living creatures, to take responsibility and do good work. But he starts by mentioning that we were made to be like him. After all this building up in self-growth, we come full circle to realize that we were meant to imitate Christ and be like him. Paul, when trying to teach people on how to be Christians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, look to me and look to the parts that are imitating Jesus, that are like Jesus, and you should copy those parts too. You know, I remember my year uh, after ELC in, in 2011, after my Elam Leadership College year. In that year, my growth accelerated at a pretty alarming rate. I had been learning and progressing a little bit, but when I went there, it just sort of took off. It was exciting to have all this new knowledge, new opportunities, and new influence. I was getting chances to speak at Voltage and Oxygen Youth at our Botany campus. And even though the sermons would have absolutely sucked, like I went back and I read one the other day, Ugh. Anyway, it was still very exciting to be used and to put this new knowledge into action. It's invigorating to be moving forward at a fast pace and in connecting more of the dots. Well, a few years later after that, Darcy and I were appointed as the youth pastors um, of Oxygen and Botany. It was one of the biggest youth ministries in the country. I'd only been saved five years. So it all felt very, very fast and quick for me. And I remember a really hard night leading Oxygen one Friday evening where only 86 people turned up. Darcy and I had been leading this ministry for a little less than a year, and we knew that we needed to tidy a few things up and establish a new culture there. We needed to focus on health and not size, but when 86 people turned up instead of the usual 200, it hurt. I remember us popping out to Kmart. We had to pick up a few things for that night, and we were exhausted, and we were standing in the line, and we just looked at each other and we were like, we've killed it. Like, it's game over. Like, in the 10 years I've been involved, I don't even remember a night even close to this small. We've killed it. We've ruined it. We're the worst. It's game over. I remember thinking that. And we had a quick discussion, and we had to decide pretty quickly that our capability and our calling was not dependent on how many people turned up, especially in a season of refinement for that ministry. We had to determine pretty early on, although we were capable of much, what we do was never going to be as important as who we are. Growth is really exciting, but one of the final stages of maturity is realizing that after all of that, despite how much we've grown, our need for Jesus is critical and is always just as critical as it's always been. The work that God does in us and the things that he does through us should always lead us back to knowing him. 
the most significant growth comes in our understanding of who we are in Christ. Now, thank God we were able to build that ministry back up to around 200, but now it was feeling healthier and it was strong and there were systems in place and there were great leaders for the future. But we needed to go on that journey to come to the realization that God calls us to be like Him, not impress Him. Uh, Keys, you can join me. Remember, in the beginning, formless and empty, and yet even if that's how you feel, God's presence is still there. Formless and empty on day zero, and then God goes about His work of creation. It looks like this, vision and hope, awareness and reflection, seed and new life, governance and guidance, growth and multiplication, identity and purpose. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. It's interesting, right? Because sometimes, I think I may have observed on occasion, some people who have been a Christian for a long time, or maybe they're a bit older on in years, they feel like they've reached the pinnacle of all that God would do in their life, but the last time I checked, Jesus hadn't returned. (laughs) I hope. Otherwise, we're all doomed. Last time I checked, he hadn't returned, which means God is still at work. His work is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. When Pablo Casals reached 95, a young reporter threw a question at him. Mr. Casals, you are 95 and the greatest cellist that ever lived. He played the cello. Why do you still practice six hours a day? And Mr. Casals answered, because I think I'm making progress. I love that. Day seven. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished His work of creation, so He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when He rested from all His work of creation. On the seventh day, God finished His work and rested. God finished His work. The work is over when God says that it's over. The work is done when God says it's finished. The work was done when Jesus hung on that cross after having been crucified for sins that were never His so that we could have eternal rest and wholeness. And as He hung on that cross and He says, it is finished, that's the moment that represents all that awaits every believer. See, the victory on the cross has already taken place, but there's part of it we don't get to experience until our time on earth is done. Until that moment, We are somewhere in between formless and empty on day zero and complete and very good on day seven. Somewhere in between in the beginning and it is finished. See, for you, in the beginning might mean, in the beginning, I couldn't see my self-worth. In the beginning, I didn't have vision for my life. In the beginning, I was riddled with insecurity. In the beginning, I didn't understand Scripture. In the beginning, I didn't know how to pray. In the beginning, I wasn't making a difference in the lives of others. In the beginning, I was formless and empty, and yet God's presence was still there. But in the it is finished of Jesus, it means shaming, condemnation are finished. It means the penalty and the power of sin are finished. Separation from God is finished. Emptiness, loneliness, and aimless wandering is finished. We've made good time. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I want to pray two prayers. Firstly, I want to pray a prayer, and I invite everyone. This is, this is for everyone, because for all of us, myself included, We're somewhere along that six-day journey. For you, you might be like, it's dark. I can't see God. I can't see anything in front of me. I don't have direction. You need to know that if God said it, He meant it. He's for you. He's not against you. 
He's right there, even if you can't see Him, and He wants to bring vision and hope to your life. You might be somewhere else along the journey where you're starting to see new life, where you need to get a mentor, some governance and some guidance, where maybe your growth is accelerating and you just need a bit of guidance to make sure you don't go wayward and do some crazy stuff. Your passion is good. Just make sure it's not misdirected zeal. I want to pray for every single person and wherever you would identify. You might say, I'm a bit of four and a bit of five, a bit of one, a bit of two. It's fine. Why don't we all close our eyes? I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to make it crystal clear to you where you're at in this journey and what you could do this week or the weeks ahead to take some action, to take that next step in your journey. You never reach completion until you're with the Lord in heaven after your time on earth is done, but we're progressing and we're growing and we're forming and we're becoming more and more like Jesus. God, I just pray over every person in this room, every person listening to this voice, whether it's in the room now or on the podcast later, I thank you, Lord, that you do have a plan and a purpose for our life. And it's not that you're unhappy and discontented with where we are, but that you love us and you do have a great plan and you want to see us grow and become all that you've created us to be. So I thank you for every person in the room that they each have an in the beginning and whatever that looks like for them, it is absolutely fine. From here, may we take a step forward. From here, may we commit ourselves to growth. And I pray in Jesus' name over every person right now that you give them a clear sense of a next step. God, do they need to get across the room and ask someone just for a coffee once a month, just to share their thoughts, share their passions, share their ideas, to give them a bit of guidance? Is there someone here that needs to just turn up to Alpha and just get a bit of the groundwork done to learn some of the basic stuff of what it means to be a Christian? Is there someone here that's actually quite mature in their faith that needs to reach out to disciple and lead other people? God, I pray whatever it is, speak to them clearly, prompt them, give them the opportunity, we pray in Jesus' name.